Well, let's open the scriptures this morning to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, where the Lord Jesus speaks about our words and the things we say and how those words are connected with our hearts. And keeping in mind those words of Jeremiah that our hearts are deceitful above all things, we turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 12, picking up the words of Christ at verse 22. Picking up the story, the work of our Savior. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So far the reading of God's Word. The text will be James chapter 3, the verses 1 through 12, but I'd like to just read a few verses in chapter 1 to help us with the context. In the Pew Bible here, it's page 1290. 1290. So in chapter 3, in our text in particular, verses 1 through 12, James writes a great deal about the tongue, about the words we speak. And if we go back to chapter 1 for a moment, we can see that he began that theme already there. And in chapter 3, he expands on it. So it's helpful to see the connections. We start at chapter 1, verse 19. 
James writes there, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then just down to verse 26, same chapter. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now to chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. That'll be our text this morning, the verses 1 through 12. In response to the preaching, we'll sing from Psalm 141. Save me, Lord, from all sin and folly, and guard the doorway of my lips. Set there a constant watch that keeps my mouth from speaking words unholy. We'll sing the stanzas 1 through 4. Psalm 141. Well, church of our Lord Jesus Christ, after writing in chapter 2 about loving our neighbor and judging with fairness and making sure that our faith is genuine by practicing good works, or as we saw, loving acts of obedience to God's law, James now in chapter 3 starts to talk about the tongue. From how we walk, we go on to how we talk. And it can seem like this is a brand new section with a brand new theme, watch what you say. 
And yet, it is not as disconnected as it would appear, for the words that we speak to others are in themselves an action, aren't they? When we speak to a neighbor or about a neighbor, we are doing something to them, either something good or something bad. We all know how words can hurt and wound. Haven't you had it? Maybe you still have it, that you remember something that somebody said to you a long time ago. And every time you think about it, it makes you upset makes you mad or maybe sad. Or on the positive side, something said long ago, something very good, makes you happy and glad to remember it. The words, either way, the words that roll off our tongues can have a powerful effect on our neighbor. That's what's still on James's mind here in chapter 3, neighbor love. In chapter 2, James mentioned the sixth commandment about murder and the seventh commandment about sexual purity. And if we think about those commandments, don't words have a lot to do with those commandments? Didn't the Lord Jesus teach that we can easily kill our neighbor with hateful words? If you say to your brother, you fool, said Jesus, you are guilty of and worthy of condemnation in the fires of Gehenna. And isn't it easy to use our words to make sexual jokes contrary to the seventh commandment or to be rude about another person's body or sexuality? And if we look a little bit ahead in James's letter to chapter 4 and 5, we, we see James writing about trouble between church members, trouble that involves the words we speak. James warns about quarreling. That's words. He calls it murder in chapter 4 verse 1. He admonishes in chapter 4 verse 11, he admonishes against speaking evil against one another. And in chapter 5, against grumbling against one another. So, how we use our tongue to speak to one another is a huge part of how we act toward one another. And how we act toward one another is a critical part of showing true faith. We saw that last time. James has already taught us no loving acts of obedience in your life means you don't have true faith. Don't fool yourself, said James. And now in chapter 3, he's drilling down on the same idea, having only words Having only words which cut and kill and bring down your neighbor also means you've got no true faith. In fact, James has already made this point. Chapter 1, verse 26, as we read it, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. It's worthless. And so we come to see how critically important it is for each one of us, if we are to be genuine children of God, to learn how to tame our tongues. I bring you this word of the Lord. Love your neighbor by taming your tongue. Love your neighbor by taming your tongue. Beware of the tongue's 
evil power to destroy and embrace the tongue's evil, or rather godly power to bless. Well, in chapter 3, verse 1, James opens our text by mentioning teachers, and he gives a warning there. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He's talking about teachers in the church in the first place, but anybody who's ever thought about becoming a, a Christian school teacher or a church elder or a minister and has read or come across this verse has likely felt a cold chill run down their spine. I know I did. We all know Judgment Day is coming for every one of us, but for those who teach, says the Holy Spirit, we're going to be held to a higher standard, to a strict code. Well, that can come across like a very cold shower, and if you're thinking indeed about becoming a teacher or a preacher, you might just get cold feet when you read something like that. It sounds also strange for James to say this because we also can hear the Lord Jesus say earlier in the Gospels when he looked out and described the harvest of God's people as being white, being ready to be brought in, and he urged his disciples on that occasion to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus seems to be teaching we need more laborers. We need more instructors and teachers and preachers. Is James trying to discourage people from becoming teachers and preachers? Well, not really. James knows the need for missionaries and ministers and elders and deacons. What James is trying to discourage very much is that it is people becoming careless teachers or thoughtless preachers because teachers, more than anybody else in church life, use their words to do their work. And the words we speak with our tongues, they matter a tremendous amount. Elders and ministers have a great responsibility to instruct God's people in the way of salvation to guide them in the right path and warn them from going down the wrong path. How they use their words can directly affect the eternal salvation of the people they care for. An elder who gives bad counsel, unbiblical counsel, or a minister who teaches contrary to the Bible or simply neglects to teach the full counsel of God They can have a destructive force on the congregation, destabilizing faith, sowing confusion, and causing people to drift away. And such teachers will have to answer for that. Jesus himself said that to whom much is given, much will be required. That's the principle behind James's warning. And so he says, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. You know, this is true of teachers in the church and teachers in the Christian school, but it's equally true of anybody who's 
in a teaching responsibility. Parents, parents teach their children. Husbands have the calling to guide their wives and families down the Lord's pathways. So the question is good to ask, do we use our words wisely? Are we using our words well for the task of instructing those in our care? Will the words we speak stand up under the Lord's scrutiny as faithful and true? So James starts off with that reference to teachers, and he's very concerned about our tongues. Why? Because what we speak can do a great deal of damage. We should understand that when James speaks uh, of the tongue, he's, he's using that as a shortcut to speak about the, the words that roll off our tongue. We do that kind of thing as well at times. If, if we want to refer to an action of our prime minister, we might just refer to 24 Sussex or Parliament Hill. Or similarly, we might say, well, the White House did this or that as a way to refer to the President of the United States. So it's, it's what they call a metonym. James isn't against the tongue as a, an actual organ, but he's against something that we do with the tongue that is evil. And so often, what's coming off our tongue are evil words. Er, words which injure or maim or kill. That's the point of, of the images, some of those images in the verses 5b through 10. He starts off there in 5b, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, says James. The tongue is set among our members, that's the members of our physical body, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. These are very alarming words, aren't they? Almost every summer for the last number of years, each of us has seen pictures of massive forest fires in California often also in northern Ontario or British Columbia. And these forest fires, they, they, they doesn't take much to get them going. A dropped cigarette, a campfire not properly doused, a single bolt of lightning from a very small spark comparatively can come a raging forest fire that, that can go on for months and months and months, destroying hundreds of thousands of hectares of trees. Or even in cities at times, there have been city blocks destroyed by fire, killing hundreds of lives. Well, says the Holy Spirit through James, that's the kind of evil power that lives in your tongue. It has the power to set the course of your whole life, writes James. Do you realize that, brothers and sisters, that the the words we speak can dictate the direction of our lives and that of our neighbors. Well, how would that work? Well, take gossip. What is gossip? Gossip is to spread rumors, stories, 
may be true or half true, but always making the person look bad. Gossip ruins reputations, and the reputation that's ruined can last for years and years, maybe for life, where the community comes to think about a certain person in a very negative way because of rumors or gossip that we've spread. Slander is even worse. Slander means to deliberately speak lies. You really want to bring a person down with your lies. You want to bring hardship on someone. Jesus, for example, was slandered by the Jews and the Pharisees, as was Stephen. And eventually that slander brought death to those innocent men. That's a, a forest fire caused by our, the spark of our tongue. But our tongues can cause a forest fire a lot closer to home. It, it can cause a forest fire in our own personal lives. What happens, for example, when we lie to one another at home or among our friends or we speak only half-truths and we, we, we have a speaking style of deception? What happens? We erode trust. We raise up barriers between people who should be close because we have been practicing half-truths and our family members don't trust us. What happens when we gossip about friends or family members? We break relationships. We lose friends. We not only hurt others, but we deprive ourselves of that relationship of love and friendship. Or maybe we don't gossip. Maybe we don't slander. Maybe we don't even engage in deception. But we criticize with our tongues. We put down. We find fault. We're always finding fault. We never see the good in our wife or in our husband. When our tongues speak to our spouse, to our son or daughter, to our mother or father, then nine times out of ten, it's a negative remark. It's a biting comment. It's meant to put the person in his place. Where will those relationships be in five or ten years? If that's the pattern of how we speak with our tongues in our homes, where will they be, those relationships? Think about your words, brothers and sisters. Are, are your words on a regular basis? Is the pattern of your words encouraging to your wife or your husband? Are they helping your wife or husband to love you more or to love you less? Will your kids want to come back to the family, to the family home once they've grown up and moved away? Will they want to come back? Will they be happy to spend time with mom and dad and their aging parents after all the words they've heard you speak to them over the years, or will they keep their distance? Or how about the joking we can do? The sarcasm. The kind of joking, the kind of sarcasm that makes a sibling or a kid on the playground or a student in school makes them feel like an idiot puts them down, mocks them, makes them feel picked on. 
what you and I say today, the, the way we go about interacting with people, the pattern, says our text, can easily dictate the kinds of relationships we're going to have the rest of our lives. And it can easily be broken relationships, strained relationships, or non-existent relationships because of what we've done with our tongues. Do you know how many people I've spoken to over the years as a pastor? Even in their middle-aged years or in their senior years, how they vividly remember decades later how they were spoken to, how they were treated when they were young, in the home, at school, on the playground. And how it sits with them still, decades on, it's like a wound that's been barely scabbed over. Sticks and stones do break our bones. But you know, the rest of that saying just isn't true. Words do hurt me. Words cut deep into our hearts. And in the end, the pain of words that cut is far worse and lasts much longer than a broken bone. James really convicts us of the sin of the tongue, doesn't he? He says in verse 9 that we bless our Lord and Father with our tongue, and with our tongue we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. We, we, we sing God's praise and we turn around and say a nasty thing about our neighbor. We so easily separate those two things, don't we? When we speak to God or about God, then we are very careful to speak with respect. We don't want to offend the Lord. We don't want to have anything to do with putting him down, but then in the next breath, we can turn around and think nothing of, of speaking rudely or roughly or negatively to or about a fellow human being whom we have forgotten that fellow human being is made in the image of the God we say we worship. That's pretty damning, isn't it? We can sing the Apostles' Creed in church and then think nothing of berating our spouse or kids on the way home from church. We can pray eloquently at the dinner table and later have no qualms about running someone's reputation into the mud. Often it's a brother or sister in Christ. Brothers and sisters, think about your tongue. Is it a restless evil? full of deadly poison, as James writes? Does your mouth produce salt water or fresh water? Just like no spring can produce both salt water and fresh, it's got to be one or the other, so our mouths, our tongues, are to only produce one kind of talk, the upbuilding kind, the constructive kind, the filled with love for God and neighbor kind, is that what your tongue speaks? Have you learned 
to tame your tongue. For then indeed you can embrace the tongue's godly power to bless. Now maybe you're, <clears throat> you're thinking at this point, can I tame my tongue? Is that even really possible? <clears throat> James, we've already seen, describes the tongue as a restless evil. Verse 8, and doesn't he also say in that same verse, no human being can tame the tongue? Isn't that the point of verse 7? Mankind can train every kind of animal, says James, and we've seen it too, right? You've been to marine land. You've seen the killer whales jumping and doing tricks. At the circus, you can see bears ride bicycles. You can see elephants stand on one foot. Tigers jump, jump through burning hoops all at the direction of humans. Dogs can be trained to help the blind. They can be trained to sniff out drugs. Even snakes can be trained by the charmer. Don't know why you'd want to train a snake, but the charmer does it anyway. But the human tongue, who can tame the tongue? Who can control his speech? Well, there is one man we know who could and did perfectly tame the tongue, and that is our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's think about his ministry. No matter the circumstance, Christ always had a fitting word to say. He, he taught, he spoke to the people the pure gospel of salvation. He answered his critics with unassailable wisdom. He was not afraid also to rebuke or reprimand, but then he always did so judiciously and fairly and with the intent to bless his neighbor. And in the moments when saying nothing was the best thing to do, then the Lord Jesus kept his tongue silent. In everything, Jesus kept his tongue from evil. He did that all as part of, of earning salvation for us. He kept that command perfectly so that he could save us. And now that he has saved us, he expects you and I to do the same. For behind the tongue... And powering the tongue is what? It's the human heart, isn't it? We all know that the tongue doesn't have a mind of its own. It's commanded by its, its owner, by the person, you and me. The tongue simply gives voice to the thoughts of our hearts. That's what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 12. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever's going on here, that comes out. The mouth or the tongue are simply instruments by which we make known the thoughts inside. There's nothing evil about the physical tongue, nothing crooked about it. What's crooked lies in our hearts, that old depraved nature that's so crooked and dark with sin. We, we saw that in Lord's Days 3 and 4 recently. That part indeed of our Anatomy, that heart of ours, is set on fire by hell. It's stoked by Satan, that old nature. He's the one that introduced lies. You remember that in the Garden of Eden. And he taught Adam and Eve to be deceptive. And we're still deceptive. But when the Spirit of Christ comes, 
when the Spirit of God creates in us a new heart, a new nature, that new nature, it begins to guide our tongues. That's Jesus' point in Matthew 12 in comparing us to trees. Either make the tree good, he says, and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. A tree is known by its fruit. Fruit is a metaphor for good works. And one of the key works that we do is to control our mouths, to control our speech, our tongues. And here you can see the close connection between James chapter 3 and James chapter 2. Three is about words, two is about works. Jesus is saying in chapter 12 of Matthew that among the fruits on your tree, among the deeds that you do, are the words that you speak to your neighbor. And so the question is, are they good words? Are they godly words? Jesus is saying if the tree is good, if the heart is good, the fruit will be good. The words you speak will be good in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus drives that point home in verse 35. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So when you put it all together, beloved, the Lord Jesus is saying, look, if you have a converted heart, if my spirit has gotten a hold of you and regenerated you, you will start speaking words that are upright, true, good, and helpful for your neighbor. Or to say it in the, the terms that James uses in his letter, James 1 verse 18, if the word of truth has been planted in your heart, you will show yourself to be the kind of first fruits of God's new creation. You'll show it in all kinds of loving acts of obedience, chapter 2, and you'll show it in how you control your tongue, chapter 3. James is very much thinking along the lines of Jesus' instruction in Matthew 12. And James knows that in God's strength, it is possible to tame our tongues. He's already implied it in chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. An unbridled tongue, an untamed tongue, means the faith that you say you've got is a pile of garbage, says James. It's another way of saying what James said in chapter 2, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. True faith generates good works. It does so by the power of Christ's Spirit living in our hearts. And in exactly the same way, True faith generates the work of restraining, curbing, taming the tongue. Well, what about then when James says in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue? Well, he's, he's making the point that 
mankind on his own cannot tame the tongue. No human can tame the tongue, but God can tame the tongue. That's the implication. And when he says then a few verses later that our speaking of, of praise of God and, and ill of man in the next breath, that ought not to be so, then he's implying, he's telling us that in the Spirit of Christ, we are able to change that. We can change that habit of double speaking into a, a singular voice that produces the fresh water that blesses both God and neighbor. The tongue has a great capacity for evil, but as new creations in Christ, the tongue now has a great capacity for good. The Spirit's driving the tongue. It should be. That's the point, you see, of the, those images, those two images in verses 3, 4, and 5. James writes there about a horse and a ship. The tiny bit in the horse's mouth, just a little metal bit in, uh, in the mouth, controls a great big horse. And the horse, so controlled, is a very useful animal. A horse without a bit cannot be use, useful to its master. But the horse that's under the master's control, a lot can be accomplished, whether that's a war horse or a pack horse or a horse that pulls a vehicle of some kind. Brothers and sisters, do, do you know how much good you can do when you are in control of your, your tongue? How much good your words can do? Do you know how much love you can show to your neighbor and how the Lord can use you to bless others when you speak with godly words? Words of truth, words of kindness, they are like fertilizer and water on the parched soil of a discouraged and weary soul. How refreshing for that soul, that person. What a difference. What a difference it would make for your marriage, for your children, for your family bonds, for your friendships, if you spoke words of truth and kindness as a habit. Think of words of instruction about God's way to live spoken to a person who was unaware and lost. Those words you speak are words of life to that individual or those people. Your instruction leads such a person by the power of the Spirit into the green pastures of God's Word and into God's company where they can lie down in peace. Your words have great power. A word of rebuke, a word of admonition such as an elder may bring, but more of us have to bring them to people in our lives. Godly words of rebuke are like a, a lighthouse shining a beam of warning light to passing ships so they don't end up on the rocks. That's a necessary and beneficial Light, it's a necessary and beneficial word we speak. As you pray to the Lord and Savior to give you words to say, 
Words which will help your neighbor think, brothers and sisters, of all the good you can do in the Lord's service as you tame your tongue and seek to speak what is good for the benefit of others. And you know, even when you personally are going through rough times, the control of your tongue, if you, by the power of the Spirit, get control of your tongue, that can still guide you through the stormy waters so that you, you don't get off course. That's the idea of the rudder controlling the ship. Even a large ship, says James, a large ship driven by strong winds. As your heart is controlled by Christ's Spirit, your tongue will come under the control of your new nature and it will be able to keep you on course even in the rough seas you're going through so that you don't say things in the heat of a moment that, you will, that will hurt or injure, words that you will regret, words that break down. You will not do that. You will keep yourself from saying bad things about God or neighbor and positively you will keep speaking the truth in love you will keep bringing up, referring to facts without trampling on feelings, offering words of guidance and reassurance and hope which only want to bless your neighbor. And by so doing, they will strengthen your own faith. So James is saying, Faith without works, that's dead. Faith without a tamed tongue, that's also dead. Faith without love in deed and in word, that's dead. It's not a thing. You're just deceiving yourself. So, beloved, let, let your faith be alive. Let it be alive with love. You have been loved much by God in Christ. So now as His new creatures, inhabited and indwelled by His Holy Spirit, go out and love much. Love much in your walk and equally in your talk. Amen.